verse when I start talking about uh, about us, but uh, because of time, uh, we are going to try to go as fast as we can so that we can cover all of the uh, uh, information that we have laid out for, every, for everybody, for all of you. Uh, my wife is here, uh, Jenny uh, Tyson's wife is here, and uh, I'm glad that they were able to come. Uh, I'm still not used to climbing those stairs, so I knew I would do it this morning, so I put my knee braces on. And uh, so I got these strong knee braces that uh, helped me balance up the steps. My name is Billy Curl. I was born and raised in East Texas. and grew up on a farm. My father was a sharecropper, uh, owned his own land, and then he uh, leased land from other uh, people in the area. I grew up in legal segregation. Uh, Went to an all-black school. Uh, I went to a two-room schoolhouse for six years. I had two teachers, first, second, and third grade was all I did was change the role. From first grade, I went over to the second row for second grade, went to the third row uh, for third grade, went across uh, the folding door uh, for the fourth grade, the fifth grade, the sixth grade, and had the two teachers. Uh, I'll never forget them. Those are the only two people that I remember now. Uh, I don't remember any of my high school teachers by name, I remember my elementary school teachers. I grew up as a Methodist. My father gave three acres of land to build a Methodist church. And uh, uh, I was uh, uh, influenced to go to Southwestern Christian College in Terrell, Texas. Uh, And there is where I was uh, uh, converted and I was baptized and started preaching at Southwestern Christian College in 1961. Uh, I'm 80 years old, by the way, so if you're trying to figure out uh, my age. (laughs) And I graduated from there in 1962. I uh, I applied to Abilene Christian College in 1962. I was asked to do that, uh, and I did, and uh, reluctantly, because uh, they were not accepting black students uh, at Abilene Christian, and I applied, and somehow I was accepted. Uh, and I spent two years in Abilene, uh, graduated from Abilene Christian in 1964, uh, got married in 1964. This is our 56th year. Is that right? Uh, well, somewhere in the late 50s. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, in 1964, uh, uh, it was it's interesting for those of you who may not be aware that most of the, uh, there were quite a few black churches in the United States that had mission projects uh, outside of the United States. People were not really aware of that. And so there was a church in San Francisco that contacted me and wanted to... Uh, uh, asked me to go to Africa as their missionary. And uh, a black church in San Francisco said that we want to send you as a missionary uh, and we want to send you to Ethiopia. Uh, I, I, have, um, I, I did that, uh, we got married, went to San Francisco, uh, and July 1st, 1964, 
uh, we landed in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Uh, stayed there six years, uh, came back to uh, Los Angeles. I have a degree uh, from Abilene Christian in speech and language therapy. So I was a speech therapist with an emphasis on deaf education and working with uh, handicapped children and things like that. So that fit what they wanted me to do. Came back to Los Angeles and uh, I, was, uh, I decided that I wanted to take a break and became a speech therapist in the public schools um, just to, uh, to get settled back in the States uh, and got called to a little small church in Los Angeles, uh, uh, the Crenshaw Church of Christ. Crenshaw is a district uh, and, uh, and we were there for one year uh, and then all of a sudden Pepperdine uh, College uh, our LA campus that made up the majority of our membership uh, at the Crenshaw Church moved. They shut down the total operation on the LA campus and moved to Malibu. Devastated our church. Just wiped it out. I was, um, I was making $350 a month, a lot of money, and uh, the contribution uh, went down to less than $200 a week and we had a $600 a month mortgage. And uh, so I, uh, it, was, it was a devastating thing. Met with, and then most of the people at the Crenshaw Church who were part of the Pepperdine College moved also. So we lost over 70% of our membership. And uh, so we met thinking, how are we going to survive? Uh, we talked about, uh, I got to do this real quick so that we won't lose time. Uh, we talked about maybe we need to shut down. Maybe we need to dissolve this congregation. And uh, so some of my experiences that I had in the mission field in, in Ethiopia kicked in. Uh, because when I was sent to Ethiopia, uh, I didn't have anybody who was my boss except San Francisco. So they said, here's what we want you to do. So I just did it. I didn't even think about reporting to somebody, I just did it. Built the schools for the deaf, uh, baptized literally hundreds and thousands of people. Thousands of people baptized one man who, who established 30 congregations, 300 congregations. And uh, uh, it, it was just one of those amazing things. And so I said, well, if, if I could do that in Africa, I can do that here. So we decided, well, what are we going to do? Uh, and I said, well, here's what we're going to do. I got this small group of people together, about 40 of us. Uh, and they said, well, we can't pay you. I said, I'm aware of that because I know how much money is coming in. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to start serving this community. Uh, we're going to create a, a mission program. Uh, we're going to establish a missionary uh, project in Africa. We're going to serve this community. We're going to meet the needs of this community. But Brother Curl, we don't have any, we don't have any money. That's all right. The Lord will provide. We're going to serve them. So we went in a community to find out what were their needs. And uh, we met people. Uh, I went to the restaurants. I went home. I went to the homes. We didn't knock on doors and just said, whatever your needs are. So we started, we started uh, doing weddings of people who were non-members. And they would come to the door uh, and say, I like this little old building. 
and uh, I, can we use this building for a wedding? And I said, oh yeah, how much will you charge? I said, I, I, I have some other requirements other than money. Uh, one is that all I want you to do is to pay for the cleanup fee, I do the wedding, and you come to one worship service. That's all I want you to do. If you just show up at one service, oh, is that all? Because other people will charge $1,000 just to use the facility. And I said, nope, it'll only cost you $100. And, that, and you don't give me the money, you give it to that man who's a custodian. And so I did the wedding. We did one for a young man who's probably going to be our next deacon. Uh, and he just walked into the door and said, I want to, uh, to the door and said, I want to, can I do this? There was a man in the community. We baptized on, there's a street called Sutro. And I, I got to know everybody on that street, baptized about uh, two thirds of them. And so we became a church that was community oriented, community centered, and people would walk to our worship service. And, uh, and those who are members of the church, how are we gonna pay for this? How are we gonna pay for this? I said, the Lord will provide, the Lord will provide. And then we started a project in Ethiopia back and we built, uh, we built uh, uh, two schools this time for me to... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> see, how, see how that worked? <laughs> uh, uh, and so, uh, you know, we, uh, 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 and for 10 years, we went from 50 folk to 614. Uh, and just, people just came in. We didn't do any gospel meetings. We didn't do any revival meetings. We just met the needs of the people in the community. We did funerals. Uh, we met people and said, can I help you? We fed folk. We went to the police department. We became a part of the clergy council uh, in the community. And uh, Tyson is going to... He's going to take from here and go to another spot. They say I'm long-winded, but I think I get it honest. Um, I, I got to uh, Crenshaw uh, in 1993. Uh, I uh, was born in Los Angeles, but my family uh, moved to the Bay Area, so I matriculated through high school uh, in Berkeley, California. Uh, my family uh, relocated uh, back down to Los Angeles in 93. We began worshiping there uh, at Crenshaw. So 93, Doc, helped me out with my math. That was about 30 years ago. So Brother Crow was about 50 years old at the time. I was 19 uh, when, we, when we placed our membership uh, at Crenshaw. Uh, and I, he's not going to say this, but I'll say it. Because of his ministry style, and because of his influence, not only uh, was he very influential in the city of Los Angeles, but also uh, worldwide. And that is because of his ties to Ethiopia. So internationally, uh, Brother Curl was known, but then nationally, uh, he was known, um, especially um, in the African-American circles as not only a great church planter and a missionary, uh, but also a great leader of people, a lover of people. Now I say all of this to say that he's a hard act to follow. That's why I say that. Uh, uh, he, he was able to uh, serve in the Lord's church without scandal. That's huge uh, because you don't, you don't show your flaws. There's nothing to say, well, I can do that better than he can. And so uh, at 19, I was um, already immersed in ministry. Uh, my parents, were, you know, I was raised in the church, so always served youth ministry, things like that. I hadn't yet started to preach. Asked Brother Curl, uh, I really think I'm interested in preaching. You mind, you know, giving me some pointers? And he said, sure. 
sure. And uh, came back next Sunday, same thing. Uh, Stanley was like, sure, I'll, I'll teach you how to preach, no problem. I said, okay, so I chased him for about four months. Uh, Brother Curl, will you teach me how to preach? And so uh, one day after our 11 o'clock service, he says, so you want to learn how to preach? And I said, yeah. He says, well, I want you to preach tonight at our, our 6 o'clock service. And I said, well, I want to learn how to preach. I don't want to preach. I want to learn. So he threw me in the deep end of the pool, and I didn't know how to swim. Amen. And so I, uh, I, I jumped in, and uh, uh, I didn't drown. Amen. And uh, he saw I was serious. So instead of four hours' notice, the next time he gave me a week's notice, uh, and then the third time he gave me a week's notice and when he saw I was serious I think then he was like well okay let's see if we could do this uh, I never set out to be a minister it was never on my radar uh, I was I wanted to be a judge and this is long before the judge shows ruined the profession but I wanted to be a lawyer and go to law school uh, I was enrolled at Chapman University in Orange California playing ball uh, was not thinking about ministry uh, but God had other plans and um, uh, as we began to work together, uh, he had an assistant at the time by the name of Lawrence Murray, who's a, a professor. He, I mean, just went to Pepperdine, o OCU at Langston. He's doing his thing. Uh, uh, and then after Lawrence, uh, I kind of just got into ministry and started working with uh, the kids. And, you know, long story short, I ended up at Pepperdine, uh, finishing my undergraduate and uh there, there was this sense that uh, the timing was lining up and that there was a transition that needed to happen. And in African-American churches, it's very vital to set up leadership because churches are run very pastorally. And what I mean by that is in the African-American experience, typically, uh, it is strong men who mount the pulpit, strong leaders who mount the pulpit, and they're very influential, not only theologically and scripturally on people, but socially, and also um, in areas where people take their word, people trust their word. And so a transition from one minister to the next is not easily accomplished. It has to be choreographed. Uh, and following him uh, is a great feat because he was looked up uh, to by so many, uh, influenced by, um, he influenced so many people uh, that it, it's a tough job. And uh, during the process, I, I really did feel called to follow in those footsteps. I felt comfortable in my own skin. Uh, he and I are going to share a, a couple of stories just about some of the choreographed dances we had to do. Uh, but it's very imperative for the predecessor and the successor to work succinctly together uh, to kind of transfer that ministry in our circle. And when it's not done correctly, you get confusion. When it's not done properly, you can get church schism, split, and fight when it's not done correctly. So it was imperative for us to have a very good relationship. Now, I'm, I'm younger than his youngest son, so he's, you know, we have father-son age difference, and um, that, that played a part in the timing of the transition because if I was 10 years older or he was 10 years younger, the timing would not have been right. So there's something to uh, the timing of what we were trying to do.
but that being said, uh, we were also trying to do something that one, we had not seen done successfully. And then two, there were not a lot of examples throughout the brotherhood where it had been done successfully. Now, whether those reasons are because preachers are very um, competitive, uh, whether that's very territorial, whatever you want to call that, it takes a lot for a person uh, to serve and to walk in their calling and then recognize the time of God, the timing of God, and to say, I want to set the church up for success after I am gone. Because we don't have that, there are churches now that are suffering. You have an older minister in his 80s or older. There's no succession plan. There's no young man to come along and uh, be involved in ministry hand in hand. There's no one to pass it to. And so you have a problem when you have an older man still trying to do the heavy lifting of church organization, ministry organization, uh, administration, uh, training future leaders. He's doing heavy lifting that's not really designed for him to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And so our churches suffer because we don't have a good plan uh, set in place. Um, and so it was imperative for us to not only do it, but to do it right. And when we say do it right, um, I have some horror stories of folks that didn't do it right. Uh, there's a young man I know and love. He's from, uh, my wife is uh, not born there, but she was raised in Omaha, Nebraska. I have a buddy whose uh, church is in Omaha, Nebraska. And there was an older man who invited him in to be the assistant minister, trained him in ministry and did all of that. And so uh, it was time for the older guy to retire. And at his retirement party, uh, after being loved on and hugged on and celebrated, he stands up and says, you know, I think I made a mistake. I changed my mind. I don't want to retire. And yeah, it really threw the church for a loop because they were anticipating change. They had waited. They were uh, bought in totally. And then it all just came to a screeching halt. And there was resentment and there was schism. And the church that was over 10 years ago is still uh, reeling from that. Uh, so there are horror stories out there where uh, there are older guys who have tried to mentor younger men and those younger men didn't have the patience to wait. Uh, and because they couldn't wait, they decided not to stay. They ran off and did something else and it left their mentor, it left the older minister without someone to lean on. There are horror stories out there, both good, I mean, both from the uh, senior minister's perspective and the assistant or his mentee's perspective. So we realized we had to try to get it right. Now I'm gonna sit down because I'm gonna respect the time that I have. Brother Curl's gonna talk about the moment he realized I was probably the one and then uh, I'll come back and, and, and tell you a little bit more about my my road to ministry yes growing up in East Texas I my my father who was a sixth grade uh, he went to the sixth grade that was it and uh, he gave me a choice uh, he said uh, you can work in the fields as a farmer or you can go to school. If you go to school, you don't have to go and work in the fields. You don't have to drive the tractor, you don't have to do any of these. And so I took that choice. And so I, I fell in love with education and, and I just simply wanted to go to school. 
And so I just love people uh, who go to school, especially young uh, black guys who were going to school. And so when Tyson came to Crenshaw with his family, uh, it, was, it was so interesting to see him uh, starving for education, wanting to go to school over and over and over again. And so here he became the youth minister uh, at the same time uh, going to school, became an assistant minister as full-time student. And so we compensated him, but not enough. Uh, I mean, he struggled, he starved. Uh, you know, a big guy like him, uh, it, it, was, it was amazing. But he met a beautiful lady. Uh, and guess what? I even did that wedding. And uh, so I realized that here's a man who's sitting in his office preparing uh, for uh, his uh, sermon that he's going to preach on Sunday night with all of these Greek letters pasted over the window of his Greek class that he was having here. And, uh, and all of the books and everything that's laid out, I said, this is the man that should be the minister of this church. Now, most, a lot of churches have failed because there was not a good transition uh, plan for the pulpit. Let me just give you some background, uh, if I may, for the next few minutes. In the African-American church, uh, the most influential person in that community is the minister, not the elders. He, he's the one that, that is out there uh, in the fields. He's the one who's doing uh, the most visible thing. And he's, and especially across the spectrum of churches. Uh, in Los Angeles, you get to hear about uh, Pastor So-and-so, and Pastor So-and-so is the one who's up there speaking. And so uh, I became a part of that. So when it was time for me to, uh, to step aside, I wanted to step down when things were going well. You don't, you don't move away. Uh, most preachers that I knew left the pulpits because of uh, lack of money, because of illness, because of scandal, because of lack of uh, support. And I was not there. Uh, I was at, uh, I don't mind telling you, when I first, when I first came to Crenshaw, I, I was making $300 a month. Uh, I got a raise. Uh, Ten years later, I was making $7,000 a year. Uh, then I, I got to $17,000 a year, and I was teaching school. And then when I decided to come full-time, I took a cut in salary of somewhere between twelve to $15,000 with no benefits. I had benefits and was making close to $40,000 a year. I quit that and became a full-time minister for $24,000 and no benefits. And Mary was working as a nurse. We were serving, uh, we were using her insurance and she quit. Yeah, and went back to school. So we starved for a while, but I still didn't have any, didn't have any regrets at all. And so it just finally just, uh, just, just leveled out. And so I said, it's, when it's time, I didn't have any money problems. I didn't have any health problems. I didn't, uh, I was at the, can I say this? I was at the top of my game. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, now, now is the time to step aside. 
And so what I did when I realized that Tyson was the man who could not only preach uh, in, in, in an African-American church, he could just go across the spectrum. He was an educated man. He was a guy who had a wife who was really would fight for him and uh, having three children and, and doing all of these great things. I said, this is the man uh, who is not interested in, in traveling all over the country. Uh, and so here's what we did. Took him to all the national lectureships, introduced him to all the preachers in the brotherhood, took him to Africa on a mission trip. Oh, did he lose weight? Uh, <laughs> and it was it was a uh, uh, it was a very interesting. So when they go again, Jenny, you have to go. Yes, Lord. And it was it was one of the most uh, exhilarating times. And then we organized a major transfer. And only thing I really remember is that they put together this exciting. Uh, banquet and I invited about four of my colleagues to come from across the country uh, to come to be a part of the ceremony uh, but the, the thing that I love the most is that uh, we have a little small building and uh, my office was upstairs and you had to climb the stairs I went up and cleaned my office and I left every book I had what a couple of hundred maybe uh, and left all of those in the book uh, shelves, walk down, walk down front and handed Tyson the keys to the office and say, now it's yours. And whatever you don't want, uh, let me know and, and put them in a box and I'll take them home. Uh, I think he kept 99, 9, 10% of everything that was in the office. And that was the most, that was the most interesting and exhilarating thing. Before he comes back, I want to say back up just a little bit. I, the church changed. It was 80% it was white, 20% black when I came. Uh, and then when Pepperdine moved, uh, the whole neighborhood changed. And the most interesting thing is uh, real estate people will go through the neighborhood. These were fat, the Crenshaw District, uh, Lamarck Park area is a very fabulous district, still is. The real estate uh, people will go from house to house. So the black people moving in, you better sell your house now, we can get you a good deal. And uh, scared everybody about us moving into the neighborhood. We were already there, but they were doing that. And then they would go to the black people and say, I got this good deal for you. There's a house over here that I can sell you. And so the whole neighborhood changed. And uh, those homes that they were paying $40,000 for are now million dollar homes. And guess what? Every house that comes for sale, all white people are moving back into the neighborhood. And so there's gentrification taking place uh, in the Crenshaw District right now. Whenever Tyson stands up, I move aside. <laughs> so it was uh, interesting um, just being underneath uh, all of that. I made a promise uh, to my parents that I would uh, get my degree. Uh, and I wanted to be the first person in my immediate family uh, to do so. Uh, but getting involved in ministry uh, means that you have to have a certain amount of uh, maturity uh, and exercise a certain amount of maturity. And so uh, when, I, when I couldn't get Jen to stop following me around, I realized I, I, needed, to, I needed to make some big boy decisions. And uh, 
So uh, my parents wanted to make sure uh, that I got my degree even after getting married. And uh, I never set out uh, to go into ministry. As a matter of fact, my father actually told me not to go into ministry because he didn't feel like ministers made enough money. Uh, and listening to Brother Curl's $350 a month story, I would agree with that, uh, that uh, they don't make a whole lot of money. But um, I ended up uh, serving in youth ministry uh, in 1995, Brother Curl and Brother Fred Rorick's. Uh, whose son, Doug Free, I used to, we went to school here together and used to serve here, um, sat me down and asked me to work with the youth. And uh, Jen and I were both in youth ministry from 95 to 2002. Uh, it was during that time I actually enrolled uh, in Pepperdine in uh, 1999, 2000. Uh, and I did my undergraduate degree here uh, in three years. Well, at the end of that time, um, I was asked to be Brother Curl's assistant. And so when we first sat down, um, it was 2002, and he said, son, I want to be retired in five years. Well, 2002 plus five is 2007. Uh, it, it took 12 years, actually, for Brother Curl to actually retire. So there were some things we went through uh, in those 12 years of waiting. Uh, but what it did for me, and this is the blessing, I was allowed um, to further my education. Uh, so after I did my undergraduate, I, I wanted to take a stab at graduate school. So I, I applied for the MS program, uh, got in, and it went fairly well. And um, then I applied for the MDiv program. Uh, and with every degree, we seem to have a kid. I don't know what this is. So once we got to the third degree and the third kid, Jim was like, okay, that's enough school. Uh, we need to stop. Uh, and uh, all of my kids are named after Old Testament prophets, which means that uh, Dr. Mars uh, had a huge uh, influence in my life uh, because all of my children have these Hebrew prophet names. Um, but for the time, uh, that I served uh, as the assistant, one of the things uh, Brother Curl did for me uh, that I think benefited me the most was he never treated me as lesser than. Uh, when we would be involved in ministry, we did it as a team. Uh, I was never hit. Now, there were times when he was out of town, I had to be his proxy, but for the most part, I wasn't the stand-in. I wasn't the junior member of the team. Uh, I wasn't less than. It was come with me and let's do this together. And I would watch him deal with people and be very tender with older members and very patient with younger members. And I learned how to preach. I, I had to get my sermon together every week that prepared me for weekly preaching. I, I, you know, I, we did ministry together, funerals, weddings. We went to people's homes together. And watching that and participating in that was a very organic and natural deal. Uh, and it allowed me, as I was working in graduate school, to get up close and personal with how to minister to people. So I was being educated academically at the same time in a very practical way in ministry. A lot of my colleagues that I went to school with, they were learning, but they weren't serving in that way. I was learning during the day and going home and serving like that uh, in the evening. And so uh, what it did for me was it allowed me to grow in my own time and it allowed me to become my own person and to become my own man and to become my own minister. It's oftentimes hard for the younger member to minister to find his voice. He's trying so much 
uh, to do everything right. Sometimes he can sound like his mentor. Uh, Brother Curl never ever set me down and said, you have to do it this way. And the blessing in that was I could develop in my own way. I did not have to speak like him. I didn't have to dress like him. I didn't have to do it. Like, now there were some things that I figured this agrees the wheels, so I'm going to look like him as much as I can because I'm trying to get influence with the same people he's influential over. But I, I could be me. And I think the blessing in that was it allowed me to develop uh, in my own time. But I was a work in progress, I have to admit. And um, I, he's going to come back and talk about the choreography of us changing seats. Uh, we had to work very closely with our congregation. Uh, because Brother Curl was looking to retire, and people could see that you know I was coming behind him, there was an age difference. And you know, there's a... And African-American churches, you know, young guys got to put in time and they have to earn the respect. And you don't just get that bestowed upon you, uh, you know, like a signet ring. You, you have to earn that. And um, there were some things we had to do intentionally. And we always tease that there's some announcements he has to make. It has to come from him. And then there's some announcements I have to make. They have to come from me because we realized that the psyche of the people we were dealing with uh, had to be receptive to what was happening and then they also had to be willing to participate in that choreographed dance uh, and so there were some things we had to do very methodically uh, to make sure people knew that there was a changing of the guard and they were going to respect that process and uh, this is the part I think, Doc, come on back. This is the part I think that a lot of churches make the mistake. They fall in love with the notion of changing leadership, but it's hard to actually practice it. And that comes with the, we call it the dance. And he, we've called it this ever since we got into it. He said, you know, this is like a dance. And that just, that just um, uh, set with me for the longest that we had to choreograph our steps. Uh, so that people would respect the changing uh, of the seats. And so he's going to speak to that, and then we're going to wrap it up uh, just talking about the, the notion of getting the congregation to be involved and then what things look like today. It, Tyson could probably do this much better than I can, uh, but one of the things that uh, any time that you've been a minister of a church for 40-plus years, uh, there are two things that will happen. One is that you're gonna have some people who don't like you. And uh, then there are people who love you. And so the ones who did not particularly like me over the years, because we had to do some disciplinary things, uh, we had to deal with a lot of issues within the church on a small scale, uh, such as dealing with some who is, is abuse in the home, uh, uh, drug addiction, uh, having, uh, dealing with some uh, other legal issues that we had to deal with has caused some not to have uh, a good feeling toward me. So I had to, uh, we had to, we had to juggle all of those. And so putting together uh, the whole program, wanted to make sure that uh, Tyson was the preacher. And so every opportunity that uh, was there for him to preach. We had three services. As I said, our building was so small that we had three services on Sunday. And so I just said, your service 100% is the evening service. And so he became the, the preacher of the evening. 
And uh, then I would take off a lot on Sunday morning. So he would just preach all day. And it became apparent that uh, to the members that he was the heir apparent and that it was taking place. And when we announced it, we made a grand ceremony out of uh, my retirement. Uh, and it was a major uh, ish, uh, banquet and, uh, and, and uh, a, a major uh, service to where a lot of my friends came uh, from across the country to be a part of it. And uh, uh, it was, it, it, the change in the guard took place in two different areas. I retired. Then later on, he was installed as the minister. So it became uh, a twofold project. And so I, I thought that uh, that would be great. Listen, our time is going to run out. I got, I got uh, drafted to do the prayer at the service downstairs, I mean at the field house. And so if there are any questions, uh, maybe I can answer one or two, or Tyson can, but Mary and I are gonna have to take off. And I can't walk down there, so I'm gonna go over here and grab that shuttle, and, uh, and they're gonna drive us down there. And, uh, but if you have any questions, we only have five minutes left. Uh, and, uh, but I, I want to also, I wanna say this, uh, one of the greatest loves that I had was for missions. And this little small church, uh, this little small Crenshaw church built uh, a school, uh, a regular classroom school in Ethiopia uh, years ago, and we operated that school for 25 years, graduated 800 students a year. And at the end of that tenure, uh, we uh, presented that school to the, to the local uh, community and say now it's a government school. We built churches all over the southern part of Ethiopia and we still operate that mission uh, in, in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. But the main uh, focus of our, our ministry in Ethiopia is in the southern part of the country. And Crenshaw did it. Because when we didn't have any money, we decided to increase our budget for the outside. So, and, and the money just came in. People just walk in the door and drop money into the coffer and said, oh, you're helping the, you're feeding the hungry, you're doing this, you're gonna hire a new man, you get, and they were just, and the budget just shot up. And we never asked for money. We just said, this is what it's gonna cost. And, and everything happened. The Lord will provide. Amen. And then finally, just to, to kind of wrap up on how the change uh, actually uh, took place and came to be. Um, I ended up, uh, Brother Crow retired, and I became uh, the, the senior minister in 2014. Uh, and I was uh, 39, going on 40 years old at the time. And uh, because of the weight and because of the timing, uh, Brother Curl still remained on as one of our elders, which was very vital. But at the same time, he was still near, which meant that for some people that was a safety net. For other people, they thought this is going to be a conflict. Um, really quickly, when I was a kid learning how to drive, uh, there's a, I don't know how many people are familiar with the Bay Area, but there is a short freeway that runs uh, in East Oakland, uh, the 13 freeway. It's a two lane uh, freeway, and you really just get on it and it connects two freeways together, and it's like a little bypass. 
my father taught me how to drive freeways on the 13 freeway. And I remember he would sit in the passenger seat. And uh, as we would drive, whenever he wanted me to slow down and hit the brake, he would just motion his foot like this. And uh, I was thinking, Dad, there's no brake over there. I don't know what this means, but I guess that means you want me to slow down. Uh, and so every time he would uh, do one of these numbers in the passenger seat, I knew that meant that I was driving too fast and that I needed to slow down. Well, with Brother Curl still uh, uh, in ministry and still influential at Crenshaw, there were times, uh, Stanley, when, you know, we get this great ministry idea and new people have shown up and we're going to try it, Sister D's, and, you know, we get out going a little too fast. Every now and again, Brother Curl would say some things that reminded me of my father <laughs> saying, hit the brake, son. And uh, so I had to learn. Uh, he had to learn me and I had to learn him. I was driving his car, you know what I'm saying? And I, I was going too fast. So I had to hit the brakes. Uh, but, but the beautiful thing about what we have is that our congregation has slowly begun to get younger. Where a lot of our congregations throughout the brotherhood are aging, uh, ours is getting, and I love the fact that we have older men who have walked with the Lord, and they have brought along younger men who are, walk, who are walking with the Lord, and then we can influence those new to the family who need to learn to walk with the Lord. And so it has been a great ride thus far. We have had our bumps, we have had our bruises, we have had to lick our wounds uh, at times when injury has happened, but it has been a wonderful experience in the changing of guards. Now, what makes this important on a larger scale is for congregations who struggle with that transferring. And we wanted to, to get our story out there. This is the first time we have told our story at any time. And this was a practice. So when they, when Mike Cope said, you guys come on, I said, well, we got a story to tell. And uh, we want to start at Pepperdine with, with just telling our story. So that's kind of what we have now. Uh, Brother Crow's very modest. Uh, now our role is uh, larger than 600. And we have influence, internet, you name it, we've done it. We have a lot of people. God has blessed us with a lot of people and a lot of stuff. Uh, but I have not invented anything. I have simply just uh, stood on the shoulders uh, of Billy Curl to be able to use his technique and method in ministry to keep Crenshaw growing and thriving uh, even in our post-pandemic uh, church situation. So that's who we are and what we're about. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of God bless you.